Elders Church at this time. We'll see you guys afterwards. So we, for 10 weeks, have been talking about the spiritual exercises or the spiritual disciplines that uh, we are and can participate in in order to, in order to grow, in order to uh, become stronger. Last week, we talked about stewardship. Uh, we talked about there are a couple of ideas we've got to embrace that, uh, in reality, God created everything and owns everything, that everything you have, all of it, comes from God and remains His, that God has given you the responsibility to handle what is His, to manage it, and what matters is how you manage it, how you handle what it is. And we talked about the three qualities of a good steward. We talked about how contentment, which is being satisfied with what we have. We talked about frugality, which is using what we have to the most uh, efficient use possible. And simplicity, not having uh, as many ties to this world um, as, well, as the world would want us to with possessions or things or we will find that that simplicity leads us into this next one. Um, this week we're talking about the topic of enduring. Endurance, there is no growth, there is no advancement, there is no getting better, there is no strengthening without enduring. Uh, whenever you hear people say, if they go to exercise or whatever it is, they'll say that you need to feel the burn, right? That's the phrase, feel the burn. What they mean when they say that is that if you want to grow in strength, you have to get to that threshold where it hurts, and then you have to push through that pain into a greater level of strength. I can remember uh, when I was doing karate as a, as a kid, there was always the point where it was, it, I got to that threshold where it became difficult. And our sensei would always tell us, this is where you have to push through. This is what determines who you are. This and how you react determines whether you get better or you do not. And ultimately, there is just, there's just a reality. Our body doesn't want to do what is uncomfortable. So if I go and I'm working out or I'm exercising, doing whatever it is, there's a point at where my body says, this is beyond what I'm comfortable doing. And I am faced with a choice in that moment. Do I allow my body to tell me what it wants to do, or do I tell my body what I want it to do? Which is the tool? Is the mind the tool or is the body the tool? Now, interestingly enough, let's say for a moment, we all know we all know what the real answer is, right? That if I have to push through that threshold in order to increase in strength, I've got to tell my body it's got to do more so that my body builds strength, it builds muscle, it makes me healthier. All right, I have to do all that. But here's, here's the, one of the realities that we don't often uh, quite understand is that uh, stopping when our body wants us to stop doesn't leave us like we are. So if I go and I only work to the point where I'm uncomfortable and I stop, I don't stay the same. I actually get weaker because the next time what our body does is it moves the goalpost back. This is called atrophy. That if you are not pushing through the threshold, that your body will actually 
do less and less and less. A lack of endurance not only prevents growth, it not only prevents strength, it actually encourages a weakening of our body. We cannot just meet the threshold. We always have to be pushing past it. It should not be a surprise to us that our faith would follow along in the same manner. That everything I just said about our physical body can also be applied to our spiritual reality and our spiritual existence. If I do not endure, I cannot grow. And if I do not endure, I not only do not grow, I don't stay the same, I get weaker. It's the nature of it. Because when we get in the habit of giving up, we give up easier and easier each time. So Paul says this in Hebrews 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race before us. Now, this is where we tie into last week's sermon because we talked about simplicity and how we've got to remove the tethers, the strings, the attachments of the things in this world that are holding us from going and being and doing what it is that we are supposed to do. And so Paul starts here, in order for us to actually run with endurance, we've got to sever those connections. We have to lay aside every weight. I watched the Olympics and it's, 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 when they do the swimming, it always uh, boggles my mind that they come up with any way to become more aerodynamic and reduce drag that they can. They shave every hair off of their bodies. Why? I mean, honestly, what is the weight of a hair? But they do it because they will not have anything possibly dragging them back. They do not want anything to keep them from being the best, the fastest, or completing the race. And so Paul says, we've got to have that same mentality. It's the attachments to this world. So we start with those attachments. We get to that simplicity. Now we're ready. Now we're able to actually begin to run the race that is set before us. We lighten our load. I want to say something maybe controversial. May not be. I don't know. Depends on where you are. Endurance is not optional in faith. You can't have it without endurance. You cannot have faith without endurance. Endurance is required. It is a requirement. Let's look at what Jesus says, Mark 13, 13. Jesus says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This isn't optional. This is required. This is not the only time in the Gospels that Jesus says this. There are other times when Jesus says very specifically, it is the one who endures to the end. When you think about in the book of Revelation, so the Gospels begin the New Testament, the story of Jesus. In case you think something changed along the way, in the last book, 
of the New Testament in the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the seven churches and says not once, not twice, multiple times, to he that overcomes, I will give the right to enter the gate. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life. To him that overcomes, I will give a crown of life. It begins and it ends, and endurance is all throughout it. Now, James, Jesus' brother, says this. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who loved him. It is not the lazy in the gym who get strong, it is not those who skip that get healthy. It is those who endure that grow. And those that do not, they atrophy. They get in a habit of giving up. So we know what endurance is. Endurance, we know, right? It's pushing through. It's facing the difficulties. When things are easy, we don't have to endure. I, I've never... I've never endured wealth. It's, it just hasn't happened. I look forward to the day. I would really love the opportunity and the challenge to try to figure out if I can endure wealth. Now, that ain't the way it works. We endure, put up with what's difficult. And that's going to be a key to understanding this, is that one of the realities of our existence and our faith is that it's difficult. Not because God wants it difficult. Not because God wants you to jump hoops. I, we have this image of, of, of God oh, being, being this, this regimented, angry, hardcore, brutal coach, dictator, whatever, whatever analogy you might use, that, that, that he is just drilling us. But it isn't that way. He isn't cruel. He calls us to righteousness for our freedom. If it was cruel, it would be for our enslavement, but he doesn't do that. God is honest with us. Satan is the one that lies. If you're hurting, use these substances and you'll feel better. No one ever finds their life better at the bottom of a bottle or a case of pills. They don't. They find it's worse. But that's Satan's lie. It's easy, and it's effective. Well, it's easy, but it isn't effective. Our God does not lie. He does not tell us the lie. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't look and say, I'm going to make everything easy. No, in fact, Jesus says, you come and take my burden. Now, my burden is easy. My yoke is light, but there's still a burden. There's still. God is calling us to righteousness, not to keep us from experiencing the life that we're supposed to, but in order to set us free so that we can win. To have true, real, abundant life. So he doesn't lie to us. He looks and he says, I mean, he's very clear. You are going to face trials. And that leads us to the first thing that we've got to understand. Endurance, what it brings us. Because we understand what endurance means. It means to push through. 
what does it give us? What's the benefit? What is God, what is God wanting to, to get out of this? And the first thing is, is fortitude. I like that word, fortitude. It just, I don't know, you don't hear it. You don't hear it a lot. But it's, it's, it's a word that when you say it, it sounds like, like what it is. Fortitude is not a weak word. Fortitude sounds like an immovable rock. It, it sounds like it ain't going anywhere, right? So you've got fortress, fort, all of these different words that we use to represent the concept of fortitude. What it is, is it is a barrier. It is a force. It is a wall that does not move you. So in the... Uh, not even the distant past, but long time ago, up until even the recent past, what you had was when people came through, you needed protection so that you did not get run out of your nation. So they built walls, huge, thick. And the reason was not to keep people inside, but to prevent them from being forced from where they were established. The Israelites had a wall around the city of Jerusalem because God had given them that city and they were not to be moved from it. It was theirs. Fortitude is where you and I, we are grounded, we are immovable. It does not matter what comes against us. It does not matter what we face. We do not move. So in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, James says something very difficult. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So how do we reach this perfection? By, by, by getting fortitude, steadfastness. And how does that come? It comes by enduring the trials that come our way, facing them. And he says, consider it joy. Count it joy. That is, that, that's, that is, that's not easy. But the reality is, when you and I, well, see, when you, when you are in, in um, uh, I'm, I'm, When I was in karate, see, I'm going to. I was going to go to a football analogy, but I never played football, and then I'm going to look like an idiot because those of you that did are going to be like, "That has you're wrong. That doesn't make any sense." So in karate, martial arts, one of the things that they taught us was that you have to stand your ground. You are in trouble the moment you begin to move backwards. If you are not advancing, you have to stand your ground. Even if someone is coming against you, you do not move. Moving back. Not holding your ground gives a weakness. And so we would have to go through exercises when I was a kid where your job was not to retaliate. It was just the opponent that you were across from. It was their job just to come at you with everything they had, and you were not to move. Because once you moved, they controlled the fight. You had to hold your ground. You had to not move. It shouldn't be a surprise. It's the same way in war and everything. That's why it's called holding the line. That's where I was going to go with the football thing. but Holding the line, not moving. You become stronger to take the brunt, to take the force. Now, God does the same thing. 
in these trials, he allows us, we strengthen, we grow. By enduring, we become more and more immovable. And that's important because it's where you move that you're weak. In a war, when the armies would line up and they would have the front line, they would tell them to hold that line. But inevitably, one side, there was one crack. One person shrunk back. And that's where the line breaks. And the opposing army is able to push their way through. Satan is looking into your life. All he wants to do is move you back. Because then he can run So in 1 Peter 5, 8 to 10, uh, Peter says this. He says, uh, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your, by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen establish you. The enemy wants to move you. That's all he wants to do. All he wants to do is get you off kilter, ungrounded, because once you're moving, it's easy to keep pushing. And I see this all the time in Christians who are willing to give into the world and not stand for truth anymore, and all of a sudden they give in on the one truth, and now they're just getting pushed back further and further because here's the thing the first time you change what God has determined and declared to be true because someone called you a bigot all you've taught them to do is how to move you where they want you to go all they have to do is take whatever you say and call you a bigot that's it we are at a point in our culture right now where I constantly watch people say things that have nothing to do with race and all they do is call them a racist. They, they, we keep moving this, these words. See, if we can get people to move because we call them something or because they say something. If we move, all we're doing is allowing them to control us. So we don't do that. We stand for truth. We root. He wants to move us. Look, Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 36 to 39 says this. He says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, and the coming one will not delay, but my righteous shall live by faith. Listen to this. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So here's, here's what the Hebrew writer says. He's saying this to you. That's what God says. Okay? My righteous one is going to live by faith. He's not going to shrink back. The one that shrinks back, I have no pleasure in. The one that moves. So here's what the writer says. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. When you move, that's when you're destroyed. So endurance. The more I take, the more I endure. 
the more I'm able to take and endure. The more I give in, the more I will give you. We stand. That's constant throughout the New Testament. But standing, fortitude, will lead us to the next thing, which is character. Endurance. Enduring creates character. Character, we would probably describe it as character is what you do when no one's looking. That's normally the way I've heard it uh, uh, said. And I don't, I don't like that. I mean, it's fine, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it a little bit differently. Really, uh, character is what you do reliably. That's character. Has nothing to, whether they're looking or whether they're not looking, it doesn't matter. Are you reliably acting in the same way? So here in Romans, uh, Paul says this, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So here we are with the fortitude in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Endurance produces Because your character is whatever you reliably do. I do not get to lie 90% of my life, tell the truth 10% of my life, and declare myself an honest man. That doesn't mean that an honest person doesn't deceive at times. But an honest man or woman is the one who can be relied upon, that you, you, you believe that they're going to be honest. They have demonstrated it with their actions. They have demonstrated it in the past. The honest person is known to be honest because he's honest. He's honest because he is reliably so. The generous person also generous because they are reliably so. They are generous because it's what they choose to do. And that's another thing. Listen, I, another lie, and this is Satan. I mean, he does this. And, and please, don't, don't hear this in the social context. I mean, hear it in that, but it's so much broader than that. Satan wants to convince you that you uh, have no control over who you are. That, that, that your actions were predetermined by your either genetics or your feelings, and that you are what you feel, and that is obnoxious because it is so false and it is a lie. You are whatever you reliably do. is, I, I remember being in high school, and the, I think I mentioned this before, but and I haven't heard anything about it since, but they, the, the, but they found the adultery gene. If you have the adultery gene, because I remember this in, in advanced biology, if you have the adultery gene, you can't control it. Hogwash. 
Hogwash. You most certainly can control it. You are whatever you choose to do. Either you are determining what your body does, or it is determining what you do, and you choose it. But either way, you have to embrace and understand it is still you choosing your character. It's not easy to tell the truth. Sometimes it hurts people's feelings. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes uh, uh, I, I would, it would be so much easier to just say whatever someone wants to hear. But that's not who I choose to be. I don't want easy. So I am rooted and grounded in whatever it is that I find valuable. And I am unwilling to move from this position, regardless of what happens. If I tell you the truth and it makes you happy, that's great. If I tell you the truth and it makes you unhappy, it doesn't matter. I'm not moving from where I'm at. In Titus 1, 15 to 16, it says, it says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. It doesn't matter what we say isn't true if it isn't evidenced in who we are. And who we are is determined by what we do reliably. James 3.11 says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can you take a glass of water and have it half salt water, half fresh water, half no salt? No. If there is any salt, it is salt water. You can out of the same place comes one or the other. Let me, I want to I clarify this because character it's not what you do when it's easy. It's not what you do when it's easy. Um, in fact, it really, it really isn't anything if it's easy. It has no. It doesn't have much meaning if it's easy. Take love for instance. Take the example of love. And If people who are nice to me and loving towards me, I'm nice and loving back to them, all that means is I'm not a jerk. That's all that means. They're nice to me, so I treat them nicely. But I don't get to say I'm a loving person if I don't love those who are mean, who are hateful or arrogant. Love is only love when it's hard. It really is. Everything of value only has value when it's hard. Those aren't my words. Well, those were, but here's where they come from. Jesus in Luke 6.32 says this, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
Loving someone who loves you is just not being a jerk. It's not being loving. So I want you to understand your character is what you do when it's difficult, not when it's easy. That's what Jesus is saying. You are a loving person if you love even difficult people. If you do not, you're not loving. Generosity. It really isn't generosity. It, 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 it is, but it doesn't really have much meaning or any power unless it's difficult. So we talk about sacrificial giving, right? Generosity is not an amount. It, it's, it's meaningful when it's difficult. So Jesus is watching people go into the temple, and they've got the coffers there, and rich people are going in and tossing in their coins, and it's making loud noises. And, and the disciples, man, they're sitting there going, whoa, Jesus, look at these. Look at, look at these people. They are giving so much. And Jesus is quiet. Well, a woman walks up with two coins, drops them in. No sound is heard. And she walks off, and Jesus goes, right there. Did you see that? Did you see her? That was generosity. They go, she gave two coins. She did not. But out of her poverty, she gave all that she had. That's generosity. It's generosity when it isn't easy. Forgiveness. All of the things that we are called to do, they, they, our character, it's what we do when it isn't easy. I went to the gym with my friend David. I went all the time. Until I woke up one day and I was extra tired that day. And so I didn't go. It was not just, it wasn't a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, I just wasn't feeling very good most mornings. And I didn't go anymore. Funny thing was, once I broke it, he took that excuse that he couldn't go, and then he started breaking it, and then I didn't want to go by myself. It was just, it just fell apart. Character is what you do when it isn't easy. It's what you do when it's hard. So let's go back to Romans 5 and get to the last one here. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, more than that, we already read this, but uh, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And I want to connect this. I'm going to, I'm going to tie it all together now. We're looking at hope. You'd sit there and say, wait a second. What does enduring have to do with hope? Or at least when I read that, I mean, that's, what, that's where my mind went. Is how, what in the world does this have to do with hope? Let's start with this, Romans 8, 28. Paul, said, and Paul tells us that God has made a promise to us. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What we're told in this passage, there's a promise. No matter what you're facing, Paul in another passage says, hey, I've known want, I've known plenty. I've known hardship, I've known ease. And uh, in all things, you know, I'm, I'm content. God, the concept here is, whether your life is going the way you want it to or it isn't. 
you're facing health struggles, you're facing relationship problems, whatever it is you are facing, you have a choice. Do you look up and look up into heaven and cry out, God, why me? Or do you embrace the promise that God has made? Whatever you face, I will make it beneficial to you. He doesn't promise to take it away. He says, I will make it beneficial. And I sit there and I think in my mind of the sculptor who sits and, and it boggles my mind. I like art, but to sit there and look at a block of stone and see inside of that stone a three-dimensional whatever it is that's got to get out. But the only way, the only way that he can get that person or that animal or whatever it is out of that stone is by grabbing the chisel and the hammer and going to town, breaking that rock. It's a violent thing. When we went to the, when we went to the fair, there was a guy who had a log, and he took the chainsaw, and he went to, he went to nuts and then had birds and I don't know, chipmunks and all kinds of things. I don't know how he saw that in that wood, but he did. But here's the, there's no gentle way of turning the log into a work of art. There's no gentle way of taking the stone and turning it into a masterpiece. It is difficult, violent. But when you entrust yourself, we're going to face trials, we're going to face struggles. When you entrust it to the one who will shape at least it has meaning and purpose. At least you're coming out on the other end better. What's the alternative? Facing the same trials and the same struggles and having nothing to show for it? In Psalm 37, 4 to 6, David writes, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and will bring forth your righteousness as the light and justice as the dawn. If you trust his promise. So we just had a promise there, Romans 8, 28. God says, I will work everything out to your benefit. We have a promise. David now says, when you take the promises of God and you trust them, you will see God act in your life. That's another promise. Trusting his promise, you will see him act in your life. Which leads us to the last one. James 1, 6 to 8, James there says, but let him ask in faith. He's talking about when we ask something from God. Let him ask with faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. All right, so let's, let's just connect everything. God has made promises. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will uphold you. He will always be there. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil because he is with you. He will take everything that you are facing and he will work it to your benefit. He does not promise that he will take away what we're facing. He says he will use it to strengthen us and to make us better. He promises that he will love us and rescue us. He promises us that we have an eternal life with him. That they, He promises us that neither, neither life nor death, angels nor demons, nothing can separate us from the love that is in him. Nothing. These are all the promises. We have all of these promises. So now the world comes against us. 
we stand for the truth of God. We know that Satan is coming after us. He wants to hurt us. He wants to move that goal. So we've got to make that choice. This is where endurance comes in. We have the promises of God. Are we or are we not going to trust his promises? Because the world says, you know what? I'm going to sue you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to insult you. I'm going to mock you on Facebook, social media, whatever it is. I'm going to do everything I can to destroy your life. Okay, are we going to break? Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to be the weak point in the line? Are we going to allow the enemy to run roughshod over us? Because the first time you move, it's not the last. It's only the first. No, we ground ourselves. We look at those promises. No, no, he's got this. No, no one can do anything to me. Look at Jesus when he stood before Pilate. Pilate's like, don't you know I can set you free? He goes, you can't do anything except that my father let you. Dad was in control. No, you know what? I'm not going to let people push me. I'm going to hold my ground. I am who I am, and I am not going to waver from this. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be true. I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be merciful, even when people are coming against me, and they are hurting me, and they're insulting me, and they're degrading me, even when they threaten my family. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to give up. David said, if I will trust him, I will see him act. I will see him take care of me. I don't know how many times in my life I've made decisions solely and completely based on who God has asked me to be, even when I thought it was going to financially just destroy us. And God always acts, always prepares, always takes care of us, always works it out to our good. Is it easy? <laughs> no. But he works it out, and it gets taken care of. And so when I see him act, when I stand with character, right, because I don't move, I don't move. The guy that moves is like the, James says, he's, he's like the man who goes here and there with the waves. Man, God, God, you're not reliable. God, God can't work in that. So you stand, you'll see him act. You have character. He's going to work through you. And here's where the hope comes in. Today, I am much more willing to make decisions completely and solely based on what God wants. Only. I don't even have to think about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to make my decisions based on what he tells me on what he says. And I can do that because I have seen him time and time and time again act. Because time and time again, I trusted, I stood, and he acted, which gave me confidence to the next time stand a little more, endure a little more, to see him act, which just gives me Never, never has God failed me. And hope, by definition, is not wishing. It's not, I, I hope I get a car for Christmas. Hope is the assurance that you will receive the promises of God. Someone has promised me, they will deliver. And the more I see God doing, the more I see the evidence of him in my life, the more he works the bad things in my life out to the good, the more I'm going to trust him, the more I'm going to endure. And there's a point where ultimately you can't back down. You don't back down because why would you? There has been no one is faithful, no one is good, no one is kind, no one is loving, no one is forgiving, no one is understanding, no one who has stood by you in every moment of your life other than him. 
reminds me of there was a guy named Polycarp. Uh, he was a disciple of John. And uh, the story in history is that uh, he, was, he was pulled out um, he was pulled out into the uh, arena, into the Colosseum, and Caesar stood up and gave him a chance. Uh, they, he, said, he said, Polycarp, I'm going to give you this, this opportunity. You renounce your faith right now, and I'll spare your life. And he looked up, and he said, how can I, now in my 80s, pretend that I have not seen God take care of me every Why would I want your blessing this one day when I have had his for all day? And he refused. It wasn't even a question. He didn't even have to question it. He was going to face it because of the hope of a life lived for him was unshakable. I want to, I want to, I want to, and trials. Look, embrace them. I mean, because that's inevitably, right? Everyone in life, everyone, Christian, not Christian, takes one of two approaches to trials. Either they look at them as, as, as uh, challenges to be overcome, or they look at them as uh, uh, burdens to just get through. Him who overcomes, I will give the right to come in and out of the gates. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life. To him who overcomes, I will give the crown of life. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If you have anything on your heart that you need to let go, any attachments that we need to sever this morning, let's do it. Let's run with endurance this race set before us. Just come forward while we sing.